We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lords by donating to the Future Full of Hope capital campaign at lordsdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. It's kind of a bittersweet morning. We have come to the end of Christmas uh, this year. This is um, the, last, the last day that we celebrate. Um, we end the celebration of Christmas with the celebration of the baptism of the Lord. And in, in a way, this is God's memorial of the way that God hands off the baton. Comes, we've been celebrating the, the little baby Jesus, the incarnation of God. God coming to be present with us. We can't imagine the power and the grace, the profundity, the beauty of that moment. Um, we, try, we try to make ourselves present, and the, the tradition of the church, the liturgical tradition, tries to draw us in to represent uh, these moments of grace, to fill us and edify us, to remind us. And there's a kind of a bridge between uh, Jesus coming to be with us and then this moment of baptism where we are joined with Jesus. We've shared in this experience. We've been there, each of us. Whether it was as a baby or um, later as an adult, we have a lot of folks in RCIA here who have gone through the program, and it's such, such a beautiful thing to watch them um, baptized. You know? Watch that moment where they recognize that they're chosen. They're chosen by God, and they've been given a grace that has transformed their life. You get to watch them weep with joy. You get to watch them um, feel the profound love of God, that claim of God, I am your father, you are my beloved child. And all of us have been given that experience of baptism. It's a profound thing. I've been kind of musing on the thought of um, what if God were to say, okay, today we empty the heavens. I'm sending you all back down there. And all the saints come back into the world. There's thousands of them, probably a lot more, at least the canonized ones. I'm sending you all back into the world. You need to go transform the world. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, what if we had St. Francis Cabrini back? You know, she came over here to take care of all the orphans in Colorado. Um, just these lives that radiate the grace of God. Um, it's a beautiful thought, no? It'd be nice to be close to them. It'd be nice, we know that the world is in need, in need of people of profound love who bear the presence of God in the world. There are people, the saints are people who live in this area, in the sanctuary. That's what we call holy, the holy ones. Um, they've come from the same place that uh, sin is left behind, that death is left behind, from the miserable place that we could be if it weren't for the grace of God. That's represented by baptism. It's represented by the font. Um, they, used to, they used to make the, the, um, the baptismal fonts in the shape of a tomb. Did you know that? It's this place where the old man dies and the old life is left behind. Somehow we've died with Christ 
and we live a different life now. We've risen with him to a different life. There's something left, left behind at that uh, place of baptism. Wouldn't it be amazing if the saints were back? And the, I guess the irony of the whole thing and the beautiful reality of the whole thing is that God looks at that dream of mine and laughs at it. He says, open your eyes, Father Mike, uh, to the reality of the world. I have chosen saints, I've, and I have put them right in front of you. Well, I have baptized so many, given the grace of baptism to so many. Um, I've claimed them as my children, and I have sent them into the world. I've filled them with my Holy Spirit. God looks, looks down from heaven and says, I don't need to send all the saints back. I've, I have sent the saints. And this is, this is kind of a fearful thing, but it's true. That God has transformed us and made us holy. That God has given us a power that is no different than the power of the, the saints in heaven. And when God looks down, he sees us as saints. He doesn't say, okay, if you get to this point. After baptism, you're at the point. You and I are the saints here and now. We're, we're sanctity in the world, holiness in the world. Now, that could be intimidating to you. You say, how could I do that? How am I supposed to be like a saint? Well, I'm not capable of that. Um, if you have that fear, if you have that claim, I'm not capable of this, I'm not, I'm not worthy, I can't do it on my own strength, then you're right. We need God's power, but that's the, that's the miracle of baptism, that God has filled us with his Holy Spirit. He has given us all that we need, and that's what we celebrate today. John the Baptist came with a baptism he was baptizing by the Jordan. He was baptizing with what we might call a natural baptism. Uh, scripture tells us that it was a baptism for the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. But it's a little different than that of Jesus. Right? This was something more like we all, have, we all go through life uh, with these complications and look back at certain points and say, uh, I wish I didn't, but I have some regrets. You know? Sometimes you meet people who have lived a while and say, I have, I have no regrets. And I say, well, you're probably not very introspective. You probably don't know yourself. You probably don't pay attention to your life. Um, and that maybe feels good. It might, that might help. Because it's hard to regret things. It's hard to live with guilt and shame. You know? And we all want to, I mean, life is hard. It's hard to get through life without that kind of thing, um, without doing damage that we uh, feel sorry for, we regret. So John's, John's baptism was something like you come to the waters and you can kind of start over. You can express your sorrow. You can express, you can express a desire to make up uh, for what the, the wrong that you've done and, um, and be freed somehow. Be at peace with yourself. Be at peace in front of God. There was something connected with John's baptism and 
practice of religion in the temple. People had a sense that even with the purification rites of the temple, that living with the regrets of sin, living with the regrets of uh, the mistakes that they had made, that there's something wrong about approaching God in that state. And so they went, to, they went to the Jordan, they went to John the Baptist to feel that peace, to get that back, you know, to start afresh. The trouble with that is that life goes on. And those people probably had to come back to, to the Jordan, come back to John the Baptist over and over and over. Um, they were heartbroken when John is taken to prison and he is killed. You know, where will they find that peace? Who will baptize them? When can they be free from that guilt and that fear? When can they be at peace? Jesus' baptism was something much more. And John witnessed to that. He said, someone is coming who is greater than I, who will baptize with power and the Holy Spirit. Something supernatural about Jesus' baptism. This isn't just the natural experience of, I want to feel at peace with my life. Um, that's a good thing. Jesus came along, and his baptism gives us peace. It does. It sets us free in a permanent way, unlike John's. In a permanent way that is something that can endure through life. The Christian need not worry about their life need not go through life with regret. Not because they haven't done anything that's regrettable, but because Jesus has set us free. And that life of sin, that life of the burden of guilt, that consequence that haunts us, is something that we need not fear because we're at peace with God. Our conscience is at peace with God now and forever. And we have that promise from Jesus. But what's more is that Jesus transforms the experience, the religious experience, so that it's no longer something about, I am worried about myself, and it becomes a mission. Jesus invites us to leave ourself back at the baptismal font and to come forward to the altar, to the sanctuary, to live here, the life of the saints. Jesus comes and he says, I want to be with you in the darkest experiences. Jesus didn't need to be baptized, but he says, I'll do this to fulfill all righteousness. I want to be with people. I want to be with people in the darkest places. You know, the church proclaims, and in our creed we proclaim, that Jesus descended into hell. That's very hard to make sense of. But what makes sense to us in the perennial tradition is that Jesus wanted to be in the place of our worst moments, the worst possibility, our furthest alienation from God, you know, the biggest mistakes that we can make. When we, when, when we try to look back on our regrets, when we try to come back and go beyond the baptismal font, there's Jesus stopping us and saying, you've been transformed. You can't go back. There's only one time. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit and you've been transformed. There is no old you. It's dead. And he points us back and sends us back uh, on mission. He says, I've chosen you. Isn't that a beautiful, a beautiful line? God says to Jesus, his son, you are my chosen one with whom I am well pleased. 
This is my beloved one, the one I love. And he sends him and he says, I formed you as a covenant of the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from confinement and from the dungeon those who live in darkness. I created you for great things, to have a mission in the world, not to worry about whether or not you're going to be all right, not to worry about whether or not you're going to survive, not to fear death through your whole life and worry, go through life with anxiety. What other kind of mistakes am I going to make? You know, he says, think about the world. Think on God. Think on how to serve. Because I've given you the power to be saints in the world. Jesus' baptism gives us an example of what happens in our own baptism. Jesus has united his experience with our own. And you can imagine this beautiful moment when Jesus is baptized. I suggest that everyone spend an, an hour of your, so at some point in your life, probably this week, lest you forget. Uh, spend an hour meditating on, put yourself in the presence of, with your imagination, this is a power God gave us to pray with. Put yourself in the presence of Jesus at the baptism. When God breaks through the clouds and Jesus can see his Father, hear the voice of his Father. He can see the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And he can hear the voice saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Just marvel at the beauty of that moment for Jesus. And then that, that moment forms us. It gives us the example of what happens to us miraculously wondrously, mysteriously in our baptism. And we share in the same experience as Jesus. We are made children of God. We are filled with the same Holy Spirit. And it's hard to imagine ourselves as babies. My mom gave me a picture recently of uh, my three-year-old self. Um, fat and happy. <laughs> I don't remember it a lot, but uh, I could tell that I was fat and happy at three. Uh, probably as a baby, too, when I was baptized. Um, <laughs> it's hard to imagine that moment, but we can, it, it, it's a moment that the Lord renews our sense of all the time. You know, every time we come to Mass, we bless ourselves with the waters of baptism, and we're reminded of that great grace of that time, the beauty of that moment, when God had chosen us and given, given us the extraordinary grace to say yes you know, given our parents the extraordinary grace to ask the church for the gift of faith and baptism for their child to be transformed. And we share in that experience with Jesus. We share in his own mission. The scripture tells us that he is called to be a light to the nations, to open the eyes of the blind. That in baptism we receive um, a new vision, you know, we talk about the beatific vision, that we're destined for beatific vision, which has two parts. One is that we get to look upon the face of God, that, that there's something so beautiful and amazing about the experience of heaven, looking upon the face of God, that's going to be so satisfying that we'll want nothing else. I can't imagine that now. I've seen some beautiful, beautiful things and been in beautiful places. But it's, it's nothing, nothing compared to what we'll have in heaven. And beatific vision has another part that means that our eyes are transformed to see the blessedness of the world, 
to see the grace of God where God is beautiful in everything. Our vision is transformed. And that's an incredible thing. The Christian can see with eyes open to the spiritual world. That we're aware of graces in a particular way that other people don't have that power. Uh, That's something we have to believe. We have to know. But I can tell you, I've seen lots and lots of grace in the world. And I, I know that each one of us here can testify to some graces in your life. That everyone here has seen miracles. Big ones, small ones. Everyone here is aware of graces that happen in their life. If you took the time to stop and look back at this last week, you would find graces in this week. God's work, God's presence in this week. My priestly community has has a tradition of sharing every Saturday night we get together for a meal and we share graces from the week. And uh, there's this little piece of panic that comes over you when the graces come up because you say, oh no, like... What am I going to say? Am I going to say the right thing? Um, was God present in the week? And, but you, when you think on it, when you turn your attention to it, um, you notice so many graces. It's not hard. It's not hard to find grace in, in our week, in our life. And I, I encourage all of you to practice that, sharing of graces. Find somebody who cares. <laughs> not everybody will. Uh, You probably have some friends, you go to the grocery store and you tell the cashier, hey, look what God has done in my life. That might be good, but they might be like, okay, you know, 3480. (laughs) Uh, There's something about the bond between Christians that we can uh, connect on these things with. People can recognize it and say, yes, that's God, praise God. And it helps us to share our joy. You might be afraid of that at times, you know. Will it be received? Will, will this be respected? Um, and I just encourage you to, to have the confidence in the Holy Spirit to share, uh, to be a witness to the grace in your life. Uh, it does matter, and it builds up the body of Christ, and it gives hope to people who you'd have no idea that that cashier needed to hear that. And it, it could transform their day. It could transform their week. It could bring them close to God. It could be the means of grace by which they, uh, they come back to God. Or they live their own sanctity in a different way. So share graces. Allow yourself, pay attention, because you have the eyes to see God's grace working in the world. We've been enlightened. The scripture tells us that in baptism we receive freedom with Jesus. That our experience can bring prisoners out of confinement because we ourselves have been brought out of confinement. There's a beautiful movie out right now at the Chez Artiste, um, and I think maybe at some Regal Theater, uh, called a, what, oh no, okay, A Hidden Life. It's by Terrence Malick, who's this very existential kind of um, esthete. He's, he, he makes movies that are very slow, it's three hours long, but it, it's some of the best three hours that you'll spend in your life. It's a story about uh, Franz Jägerstädter, a, a, an Austrian farmer who was a conscientious objector during World War II. A simple man. A simple man who, um, who has a family and a nice life. Um, a peaceful, simple life. 
But he was uh, drafted into the army of Hitler, and um, as part of that experience, he was, he was required to make an oath of fidelity and um, kind of submission to Hitler, to recognize him as his, his authority. And Franz couldn't do that. He just couldn't do that. According to his conscience, he, he, he couldn't do it. So he was thrown in jail. Um, so many other people compromised and said, well, this is good. And the drama of the movie is about how, how difficult this would be. It sounds nice, but now he's leaving his, his family. He's risking death. Um, he's got this beautiful wife at home who is also conflicted. You know, Can't we just do this? You don't have to be the the poster boy for this war or this party. Um, you're just doing what, what is, is, is being forced upon you. Uh, but he couldn't do it. Uh, he, he has this, this sense from the Holy Spirit that this is wrong, and he has a very basic commitment to his conscience. And it's a beautiful, beautiful film that wrestles with this problem. But at one point, he's in jail, and um, the jailer is trying to convince him because he, he's, he's actually grown to like this guy, uh, this simple farmer. And he's trying to convince him, just say the oath. Don't mean it. Um, say it. It's just a simple thing. It's just words. Just say the oath so that you can be free. And Franz looks at him after being uh, beaten and tortured, he's, he's looking at potential um, death for objecting. And he says, what kind of freedom can you give me? And the jailer says, look at you. And he says, you don't see, but I'm free. Well, there's something more profound than the circumstances of life that at times feel like we're not free, that we're confined that our life is being controlled by other people, but there's a deep, deep freedom that belongs to the Christian that can't be threatened by anything. This beautiful freedom of a clear conscience before God and a power that is a witness to the world. This guy Franz was beatified. Um, he's a saint that's living among us who eventually was killed. Um, he was killed for his protest there. And it seemed like his life would mean, it wouldn't make a splash. Nobody would know about this. That's part of the drama of the movie as well, that it's so quiet. All he does is say no. He doesn't get up there and protest, he doesn't shout, he doesn't tell anybody else that they have to. He just says, I can't do this. And his life has a profound effect on the world. I mean, I know about it, this little farmer in Austria. It's the power of God and the freedom that comes from God. There's a confidence. I wanted to praise this little girl. Did you see this? The kids come up here, and you say, who will, who will be chosen? And this little girl throws up her hand with confidence. I can do that. Some of those kids are intimidated by the big book because it, it's heavy, and it can topple you over. Um, not that kid. No. She says, I'll do it. Um, there's a confidence that's beautiful. And it's a confidence that each of us can have um, because we've been called and given a grace that is beyond us. A confidence to go and accept our mission, to pray every day, Lord, what is your will? How can I go out into the world? And it's a confidence that can keep us 
from being preoccupied with our own self, with our own guilt, with our own fears and anxieties. That's what the Lord wants for us. He's not going to be angry if we don't take him up on the offer. You know? We can be the shy kid in the back who just follows. Uh, but God wants that confidence for us. You know? I invite you to pray over the baptism this week. Thank the Lord for the beauty of this moment that he gave to the world in Jesus. And thank the Lord for the beautiful grace that he has given to you to call you his own child. God calls you his child. What can he not do with your life? He's given you to the world. Take the mission, ask the Lord for his grace, and then go in the confidence of the Holy Spirit.